0: Amen. Welcome to Redemption Church. I'm Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And I am... I love this text. Like, what we just heard is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. And uh, as a pastor, you would think, well, those must be the easy sermons to write. And you'd be wrong. (laughs) Like, because there's so much there, you don't even know what to do. Um, As I was going through my week this week, I realized that God was shaping the way I was seeing this passage through some conversations I was having. I, as a pastor, I had this privilege of walking uh, with people through life. And I had no fewer than four conversations this week of people who were just struggling with big questions. like, Who am I? What am I supposed to do? Can I really be loved and forgiven the way that I am? big questions that we're asking ourselves all the time in, in one way or another we're trying to find out what what is what's the foundation of our identity who am I what what am I supposed to do and, and, and then like can I ever really be known for all the mess that I am and still be loved? Have any of you asked yourselves these questions ever? Yeah I would ask you to raise your hands but it's true of us, right We all ask these questions all the time and I as I was reading this, this text this week, I just saw so much good information for us as we wrestle through this, that, that God is answering uh, these really big questions in these really beautiful ways through Paul uh, as he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And so I want to I frame my, my sermon around these three big questions. Um, And so it's going to feel a little bit like I'm all over the place, and I'll just apologize in advance. It's not going to be a a progression through every verse, uh, but we're going to see Paul's repeating some some themes throughout these verses, and I I want us to draw attention to the themes he's doing. The first one has to do with his identity. Who am I? Who is Paul? Um, Paul has been writing this letter to this church who was questioning his ministry. They weren't sure they should listen to him. They weren't sure they, uh, they believed him when he told them who he was. And so Paul is having to defend himself to define himself for them. He's trying to share with them who he is as a person. And he's telling the church yet again that, that, that his ministry is valid. And he's addressing these questions. And so what he says... Uh, He answers this question of who he is in three ways, uh, and he comes to one conclusion. First, he says, who we are is known to God. He's like, God, like, fundamentally, foundationally, I am known by God. Who I am is not... like Before I have to defend myself to you, before I have to explain myself to you, before I have to define myself, I need you to know I already know who I am because who I am is known to God. God sets his identity. And secondly, uh, he says, uh, who he is is exposed by what's in his heart. In verse 12 he says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul's saying, you, you guys are, are looking for identity on the outside. You're looking to, to define me by what you see. And Paul apparently was not a very impressive person to look at, right? Um, I think a lot of us can obsess about and, and, and define ourselves by how we Look right. There are there are certain images that we're supposed to live up to, certain performances that we're supposed to be able to attain to. And Paul's saying, like, who I am is 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 fundamentally you need to know me from what's in my heart, right? Um, And then finally, he says, who he is has been fundamentally made new by Jesus. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. So he's saying, if we're going to answer this question about who I am, first you need to know, God already knows. I don't have to explain this to you. I am already known by God. God has already done work in my heart, and that work he has done in my heart is that he has made me a new creation. Right. So Paul is, is saying here through these, through these passages that Jesus has broken the prison of self-made hidden or ruined identity. He is not defined by, he's not having to come up with his own defense to define himself, uh, which we often feel that burden of like making our, our own identity, like I'm, I have to be true to myself, and, and then what does that even mean, right? I have to find a way to like which part of myself am I supposed to be treat, true to, right? Paul says like God, who I am is made known to God, and, uh, and so Paul is resting in this identity that God has given him. He is, uh, he is known by what is in his heart, and he is made new by Jesus. He's a new creation. Um, so what, what, what's the conclusion that he comes to? Who is Paul? And there's a lot of ways he defines himself, uh, that the, the way he states his identity, but I really think it's a powerful um, idea that he communicates here. In verse 20, I think is, is really like where Paul is the heart of his argument in defending himself and uh, his ministry to the church is he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's who he is. God has made me new, he has changed my heart, he knows me, and I am an ambassador for Christ. He was representing Christ to the world, specifically to the Corinthian church here. By extension, Paul is representing Jesus even to us through this letter. And we need to note, like, Paul had a special call from God as an apostle to deliver authoritative teaching to the church. So Paul is writing this letter with authority. These are God's words to us through Paul. Um, he knew that God's call was waiting, and he saw himself as an ambassador for Jesus. This means that he was, he was Jesus' spokesperson. Like he was standing and delivering a message for Jesus. He's not acting on his own authority, but he's under the commission of a greater power and authority who had sent him. This is from uh, David Garland's commentary on 2 Corinthians. He says So Paul understands himself to be divinely authorized to announce. To the world, God's terms for peace. So, Paul sees himself as an ambassador for Jesus, taking this message to the people. But this isn't just Paul's identity. This call goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Does anybody remember Genesis one twenty six and uh, in the image of? God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, right? That like We were made in the image of God. We were made to represent God in the world. That, 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 is, that is our design, that we are creations designed to reflect God's character and goodness. And Paul is saying in these verses that Jesus has restored his ability to, to bear the image of God into the world. So so we should see this as in in Christ as a new creation. God is restoring our ability to be fully human, to be who we, we were created to be, ambassadors, image bearers of God. And so this leads very simply to the second question of, What are we here for? Ambassadors have missions. They have a purpose. They have something to do. And Paul is very clear from the beginning of this passage in verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing what I know about God and knowing about who I am, we persuade others. That's his That's his call. I am am here to persuade you. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And you have to remember, Paul's writing to a church that he's been very emotional with, right? Like he he has bared his soul to this church. They've been through some hard times. He has shed tears. He has probably gotten angry a couple of times with them, and they've been angry with him. And so there's been a really complicated, hard relationship with this church, and they have seen him beside himself with grief. If I'm beside myself, it is for God. If I'm in my right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. That Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He starts to see his life as, as being designed to live on someone else's behalf. He's no longer living for himself but for Christ's sake. Now all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Verse 13, where he talks about if if we are beside ourselves, it is for... Uh, It is is for God, if we are in our right minds, it's for your sake. That juxtaposition for God and for you, it should call us back to the the greatest commandments. Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? And what does Jesus say? He says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And Paul's saying, like, I know what I'm designed for. I'm designed to love God among you and to love you well. And so he knows what he exists for. As an ambassador for Christ, he is sent to bring a message of love and reconciliation. Our perception of an ambassador um, is a little different than the ancient perception of an ambassador. So I want to help us understand what what Paul's readers would have been hearing. Uh, In the the old days, when there was a, a conquering army that would take over a particular city, that city would choose an ambassador to represent that city, and then they would go to the capital of whatever nation had taken over them, and they would go before this king and advocate from the king and say, will you please give us the supplies that we need? Will you please not kill any more of our people? You know, whatever it is, like there was a pleading of the conquered to the conqueror. And Paul's saying this is different. There is a pleading from the conqueror to the people. That, like, there, there are terms of peace coming out from the king to the people. That the king is sending ambassadors to declare reconciliation, not war. Isn't that beautiful? It's a really different picture. And so Paul sees himself with this great responsibility to carry from the king this message of reconciliation to as many people as he can. That's why Paul is is just constantly devoted, pouring himself out to take the gospel to the nations. Jesus gives us a new, a new passion, a new way of living. And he is uprooting our obsession with work that doesn't matter. We can spend our whole lives with goals and dreams that have nothing to do with the heart of God. And Jesus has come to free us from those things. He's made us ambassadors for Jesus so that we could spend our lives on what matters in eternity. This doesn't mean that all of you go quit your jobs today and sign up for international mission work, but it does mean that your primary objective in life has more to do with Jesus and his lordship than it does with your boss and your job description. And so we need to see our lives as primarily under the Lordship of Jesus, who has told us, you are my ambassadors. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the ends of the age. We should hear this command from Jesus in Acts 1-8, where he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We should, like Paul told to Timothy, that we should take what was given to us and and entrust it to faithful people who will be able to teach others also that we should make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and that's our overarching mission of our life. It's to proclaim this ministry of reconciliation, this message that's been entrusted to us, this treasure, as Paul said earlier, that's been put in jars of clay like us. And so yes, you're a stay-at-home mom, and you have to change diapers and, and just manage the chaos as well as you can. And Jesus is Lord, and he has good news for you to tell those little people, right? Yes, you have a list of responsibilities at work that you have to get done. But God has put his image bearers all around you who need desperately to hear this message of reconciliation. Yes, you have to-do lists and, and responsibilities, but don't miss this great call of God on your life to represent him in the world, to carry this message that you've been entrusted with to your neighbors. You hear the, the, the ways Paul talks about his responsibility that we persuade, we deliver the message, we appeal, we implore. You hear the, the intentionality and the intensity of Paul. He's saying all these things. He knows the most profoundly meaningful way he can use his time is to make disciples of Jesus, to proclaim his excellencies. This is exactly what we say our purpose is at redemption. That we exist to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus through magnifying, proclaiming, experiencing, extending the wonders of the gospel so that every soul in peril and beyond might flourish. That's our mission. And so here's now here's where we, we get to now. Because what the last question I saved for last, because I think we need to hear it the most, okay? Because you hear, all right, so... I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. I'm his ambassador. Okay. I'm his ambassador. Whoa. And then, like, you hear, I am made to make disciples. Whoa. Right? Like, and you start to feel this weight fall upon you because you see, like, I'm terrible at this. I can't do this. This is too hard for me. It's too big for me. It's too great for me. How could I ever live in this Reality. And we start to wonder does God really love me? Could He actually care for me, mess that I am? As often as I've failed, can He love me? If any of you have lived for very long, you've made some mistakes and you've wondered that. Am I actually worthy of love? Can I be? loved for who I really am. Some of you are so convinced that you can't be loved for who you really are that nobody knows who you really are. Because you've just projected an image that you hope is worthy of love. But, but like behind that mask is this sad person who nobody knows. So this question of can I be loved is an important question and it wrestles with an important tension because you know what, you are right that you're a mess. It's not like the the reason that Paul uses this word reconciliation so often is that there's a problem that needs to be solved. There's a relationship broken that needs to be mended. There is a distance that needs to be closed. And that distance comes from us over and over again saying to God, I don't trust you and I don't want you. What will we do about our sin? Because God is holy and just. That he always does what is good, right, and perfect. The Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. That we will be... Separated from the love of God forever because of our sin unless there's only one way that that won't happen and that's where this passage culminates and that's the, that's the crescendo at the end of this passage. How could God love us? How can a righteous holy God still look on us with love? There's only one way for us to be reconciled God and it is through Jesus. Verse 18 says all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. if we could just get a taste of how good that news is, he is not holding your trespasses against you. What have you done this week? What have you beat yourself up over for years? What opportunities have you missed? What relationships have you ruined? What sins have you committed? And here we hear of a God who says, I will not hold your trespasses against you. How? How can a holy God not hold us responsible? Our very real rebellion against him verse 21 for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. Compacted into one verse. One of the most important truths in all of Scripture is that on the cross, Christ has undone the pain of relational separation by enduring the pain of relational separation. He was cast out so that we could be brought in. That for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. There's a couple of things to notice here. This is all the action, the will of God. That God has made him, Jesus, to be sin. So when I talked about our trespasses a second ago, when I, when I, when I was asking you to hold in your mind all of your failures and faults, all of your sins, all the things that God is rightly angry about, that every time, in whatever way, you shook your fist at God, saying, I don't want you, and I don't trust you, that God made Jesus to be the representative sacrifice, the substitutional sacrifice, and he treated Jesus as though he were guilty for your sins. That he poured out his punishment for your sins on this Jesus. And he wasn't, like Jesus was sinless. He was a perfect sacrifice, completely holy. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus did not deserve a drop of that wrath. But he took it lovingly on our behalf absorbing in himself the wrath of God against our sin. So God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are sinners. He took that. He is righteous. He gave that. that he got our sin, we got credit for his good life, for his perfect obedience. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, uh, wrote, he was a preacher in England in the uh, 19th century, in the 1800s, uh, and he wrote this, of this passage. I read this to you because I feel like Spurgeon writes emotions better than anybody. He just writes the, the impact of truth. And he said of this verse, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He said, Oh, the splendor of this doctrine. Can you see it, my friend? Sinner though you be, and in yourself defiled, deformed, and debased, yet if you will accept the great substitute which God provides for you in the person of His dear Son, your sins are gone from you, and righteousness has come to you. Your sins were laid on Jesus, the scapegoat. They are yours no longer. He has put them away. I may say that His righteousness is imputed unto you, but I go further and say that you are made the righteousness of God in Him. No doctrine can be more sweet than this to those who feel the weight of sin and the burden of its curse. He has reconciled us to God. That means there is no more distance. There is perfect love, grace abounding. I wonder if we if we would just believe that how different our days would be that he actually loves us that in Christ there's no condemnation no guilt no shame nothing left to fear he has reconciled us to God Brothers and sisters, when when by the grace of God we hear of this Jesus and, and, and for the first time maybe in our lives say, I want you, I trust you. When we hear of this Savior who died to free us from sin and Satan and hell, and it is sweet to us, and we believe in Trust in this Jesus and all of the truths and promises of this gospel are are flooded into our lives, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, adopted by the Father, free to walk in newness of life, heirs of the King, ambassadors for Christ, reconciled love. It changes everything. Verse 14, he says, the love of Christ controls us. I love that language. He's like, I'm not even, I'm not even driving this thing. The love of Christ has so impacted Paul's life that he is, everything about his trajectory has been changed. He's been controlled by this love because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Since Christ died on my behalf, so who I used to be is dead. Christ raised from the dead, so now the life that I live is for him. It's for his sake. It's, it's on his terms, for his purposes. He died for all those who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Years ago, when I was meditating on this verse, I tried to write it in as many ways as I could think of. And as I was preparing this sermon, it came to mind again. and be guilty of recycling an old sermon for a moment. If you'll bear with me. Just this part. I want to say this verse in as many different ways in hopes that that one of them will hit you where you hurt with good news. The verse is, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ became sin so that sinners could be made like Christ. God became an exile so that exiles could come home to God. Christ, the fountain of life, entered into death to bring the dead back to life. The perfect joy entered into sorrow so that sorrowful people like us could find joy. That hope itself took on Despair so that despairing people like us could find hope. That the eternally peaceful God entered into war to bring the warring people like us into peace with God. That the Son of God was orphaned so that orphans like us could find a family in God. That the only good one in the world, in the universe, took on evil to set evil people like us free to do and know what is good. That the eternally gracious God took on guilt so that He could give guilty people grace. That the glorious God of all creation took on shame to bring people buried in shame into glory. That the perfect love of God took on the hatred of God against sin to show sinful haters of God perfect love. at this point, the audio on Pastor Daniel's microphone cut out. We apologize for the inconvenience, and if you'd like to know what was said beyond this point, please use the Contact Us form on our website, www.redemptionpairland.com, and we'll get back to you and let you know what was said.